Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Not monsters, not animals, not, not all these sorts of things that we kind of break these people down to, but they're full human beings, very complex human beings who are capable of growth and redemption and change just like all the rest of us. The power of good journalism is that it gives voice to and tells the stories of forgotten people. This leads to change and a greater understanding of what it means to be human. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Josh Fawn is a senior reporter at The Appeal he recently launched a podcast called What is Life? And way back in 2017, Josh was a guest on this very podcast. Welcome back to It's All Journalism, Josh. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, tell me, I mean, what have you been doing since 2017, the last time we spoke? <laughs> uh, I mean, 2017, about wow, four years ago. I mean, at this point, four years ago feels like I... Uh, it, it, <laughs> it's 2020 is a decade, uh, so... <laughs> So it's been 12 years, I guess, or, or 13 years. <laughs> At that point, I was uh, a reporter with the Sentinel newspaper in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I worked there for another two years. In March of 2019, I came on full-time with The Appeal. I had been freelancing with them for a little bit in 2018. And I've been there ever since. And we cover... A lot of criminal justice issues nationally, the drivers of mass incarceration, and a lot of the issues that, that drive social inequalities like poverty and homelessness. Wow. That, that sounds like a really great thing. I mean, when we were speaking in 2017, you were doing some data scraping of crime data or statistics and reporting out of that, which is what we were interested in talking to you about then. It seems like that's certainly a skill that, that's going to help you at the appeal i would imagine yes we definitely still cover a lot of local criminal justice I mean, all criminal justice tends to be local or the vast majority and what drives issues in criminal justice are local so we still do a lot of covering uh, of local issues and and still try to do a healthy dose of data-driven reporting here as well well, tell me a little bit more about the appeal by the name and the fact that it's a .org. It's, I guess it's a nonprofit profit that's uh, focusing on covering courts. Yeah, so we're, we're a nonprofit newsroom covering, again, criminal justice and issues of social inequality, vulnerability issues like homelessness, uh, poverty. It started as, as an organization focusing specifically on criminal justice. And then, you know, with COVID-19 exposing so many more issues that needed coverage and so many issues that kind of are at that intersection of the criminal justice system and, and people, I mean, poverty and homelessness, access to jobs, those sorts of things, and mental health access all have big intersections with, with the criminal justice system. So we, we've kind of expanded a bit. And you're doing that remotely from uh, Pennsylvania? Yeah, and we have people in Arizona, we have people in California, we have people in New York, Atlanta, all over the place. It sounds like a great concept for a nonprofit newsroom and it, with plenty of really important issues 
that are going to lead to, I would imagine, some really powerful stories. You know, we were joking about, you know, 2020 being a decade. You know, as you said, you know, the COVID exposed a lot of the inequality that is in the system. You know, how healthcare or lack of healthcare or lack of access to healthcare. And, you know, at the same time, we we had the um, Black Lives Matter movement going on and the calls for social justice. So a lot of the the conversations around that were, were, you know, the defunding police, which is really more about not about taking money away from police, but focusing resources more at some of these issues that we're, we kind of are talking about. So tell me, what are some of the big stories you've covered? So the big stories with the appeal that I've covered, I, I've been covering a lot of life without parole, which is kind of where this project spun off. I did some reporting over the summer. I think it was again, times kind of feeling kind of relative at this point. Um, about reprieves, which are this power that governors have to let people out of prison, at the very least temporarily. It's something that that was not used terribly often, uh, but you started getting a, a bigger push for that during the, the COVID-19 pandemic to reduce the prison populations to help mitigate the spread of COVID-19. I don't know if we can take I, at what level we can take credit for the governor actually signing off on some, but I mean, we were reporting on reprieves and shortly after that, the governor signed off about 150 reprieves, which is great, small in comparison to the, the 40,000 people that are currently or were currently in uh, prison in Pennsylvania. But, you know, it was great to see some action coming from that. We still had a pretty significant spread of, of COVID through the prisons at this point in Pennsylvania, about 115 people have died within the prisons from COVID-19 on top of all the other, you know, just people dying in the prisons, just in general, about 115 since the beginning of the pandemic, just from COVID-19. So, I mean, there's been a lot of focus on that. We're obviously coming up to election season, municipal election season. So we're starting to, to get into coverage of mayor's races and, and some of the other, issues, other races that are coming up this year. So you're covering this from the perspective of the candidate's, you know, position on, you know, criminal justice? Yeah, criminal justice in what role they can play in dealing with some of those issues and addressing social inequality and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it, it's coming at it from, from a lens of, you know, these are people in power. So what types of power do they have and you know, how can those levers be pulled to address some of the issues that uh, we're reporting on and care about? Yeah, I, I live and work in Northern Virginia, and, and some of the recent races in the Commonwealth's attorney, which is the, you know, it's the district attorney for, yeah. for the particular areas and jurisdictions in, in Northern Virginia. And several of those races have been really kind of, some of the things they've been hinging on is, you know, stepping back from prosecution of the possession of marijuana and other types of things that just this sort of conscious, the social conscious of we need to be focusing our prosecutorial efforts on something different than this to be more just and fair and, and more realistic about where we are kind of as a society rather than just sort of shelving people. But anyway, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that there is this project that was you know, related to this, this work that you're doing. And I'm assuming what we're talking about is what is life, which is 
you know, if you don't realize that it has some uh, criminal justice connotations, it's kind of a really broad, broad philosophical subject. So tell me about what is life. I guess for starters, this is kind of a passion project. This is not an appeal project. I obviously I have my day job, so this is something that I'm kind of doing on the side. It's a podcast talking to men and women in Pennsylvania who are currently serving life without the possibility of parole. And in Pennsylvania, there are about 5,400 people who are serving life without the possibility of parole. And right now, life means life in prison. It, it means you for the most part, will not get out. We've had a, a one of the only options to get out of prison for someone serving a life sentence is a commutation. And our current Lieutenant Governor, John Fetterman, has done a lot to get the commutation process rolling again. It basically has been stagnant for close to 30 years, if not more than 30 years. He's got it rolling again. But even on that, we're talking... 40, 50 people over the last two years getting commutation and release out of a population that since the 70s has ballooned from about 700 people to over 5,000 people serving life without parole, which as a side note is basically as many people as we had serving any time in prison in the 60s and 70s. It's, it's just that large of a population now. The, the general concept behind the, the podcast is I reached out to, at this point, the first season, I, I, there seems to be interest that there will be a potentially a second season of this, but it reached out to men and women serving life without parole with some help from some friends with some organizations who actively work with people serving life without parole in the state and asked them to write a short piece of poetry, prose, an essay and just gave them the prompt, what is life? None of the stories have to answer that directly. Most actually don't even don't incorporate that into their, their story necessarily, at least the phrase, what is life or answering that in such a direct way. And just wanted to give them an opportunity to kind of tell their story. So like one gentleman talks about his experience in the courtroom the day that he was sentenced to life without parole. One man wrote about wrote an open letter to his wife on the outside. Another person just wrote about what his day is like, just going through, you know, I get up at six o'clock in the morning. We do count. We do all this kind of stuff. Uh, some people have written about COVID. Another woman wrote a piece of poetry kind of talking about her life leading up to her crime and leading up to getting sentenced to life and then, then kind of coming to reckoning with, with what she had done. And to be clear, Pennsylvania, life without parole, these are people who have been convicted uh, of murder. So, I mean, they've been convicted of a, a very serious crime, many of them decades earlier. And I, one of the things that it, that is always kind of interesting to talk about with this is obviously we, we have this perception of what what the crime is when someone is convicted of murder, but there is a very broad range of what's happened. So. In one instance, I mean, we have, there are certainly some people who did some horrible things whenever they were younger, directly took a life, and it's talking to them about how they've grown, changed, redemption, all those sorts of things. And then you have people who have been convicted of what's known as felony murder. So if you are in the commission of a felony, uh, a robbery, an assault, different kinds of felonies, 
and someone dies during that. You have a gun and during the struggle, the gun goes off, someone dies. Or during the robbery, someone has a heart attack. Or in some very extreme cases, there's a robbery, police show up and shoot the person who is with you performing the robbery. You are now on the hook for murder. And those are now considered murder. Pennsylvania, it is automatic life without parole. So the one person, at least one of the people that that I talked to, he was out with some friends. According to him, at this point, he says he did not know they were planning to, to rob this restaurant. They went in. One of the friends pulled a gun and started to rob the restaurant. He said he ran out. One of the patrons tried to stop the robbery patron got shot and killed. And then all five of these people got sentenced to life without possibility of parole under this doctrine of felony murder. And it's the same sentence across the board. It's it's a mandatory minimum sentence. And then we just have a a conversation. And it's about each episode is about 15 minutes long, because that's how long they have to be on the phone. They're all done through prison phone calls. And it's really just trying to get at that idea of, you know, redemption and just trying to, one of the things that we do as a society is we take people, we put them in prison, we put them away, and then we kind of put them out of sight, out of mind. And to a degree, that is one of the ways that we are able to do some of the harsh and very draconian things that we do to people is that we just kind of put them away, say that, that, you know, you did this awful thing, you're a monster, break them down to something that is not human. And then we put them out of sight. The goal with this is at the very least to get people kind of grappling with that. These are human beings. They are, they are capable of growth. They are capable of redemption. And they, they, even if they did something awful in, in their life, they're human beings and they're people. And at the very least, we need to be grappling with and understanding that these are human beings, not monsters, not animals, not, not all these sorts of things that we kind of break these people down to, but they're full human beings, very complex human beings who are capable of growth and redemption and change just like all the rest of us. Let's take a listen to a clip from an episode of What is Life? This is David Mandeville, who's been in prison for 20 years, talking about what it's like to be a prisoner. You may wonder, what is prison like? Well, lock yourself in the bathroom for the weekend, put a mattress in the tub, and have someone bring you food. You can have a TV, books, and you get two 15-minute phone calls a day. No internet, no social media. Sounds easy, but in a few hours, you'll feel the walls closing in on you. This will give you a glimpse of prison life, but it's far from reality. Now imagine you live in that space with a stranger. Add stress, frustration, boredom, and overbearing guard. Now imagine it never ends, day after day, year after year, decade after decade. That's life in prison. Your only hope for relief is death. As you describe it, it seems, you know, what I would normally ask in a situation was like, is why do it as a podcast? But I think it seems really obvious why you want to do this as a podcast, because you want to hear their voices. You want to hear them tell their stories. You want to connect with people. I'm kind of a gog at the because I'm a sometimes a because I'm a podcaster and I and I get caught up in the nuts and the bolts of this is just you know how you were able to to make this happen. I know you you mentioned that you reached out to some groups who were able to put you in sort of contact, but 
what's the process for a typical episode for you? Yeah. So, I mean, the typical process is, so the, the state prison system has a for-profit email system that they use. So you sign up for this uh, for-profit company that then charges you like 25 cents an email to correspond with people uh, in prison. But I got names of people who these organizations thought would be for being part of this. And it just started with me sending out emails saying, hey, this is the project that I'm working on. I heard that you might be someone who would be a good voice for this. I'd love that the opportunity to kind of give you a chance to tell your story and, and get it get used what, whatever platform I have right now to kind of give you that opportunity to tell your story. And when they, they got back to me, it was, you know, here's what it is. I need you to write something that ideally you can read in about five minutes because uh, because we are limited to a 15 minute phone call because that's all the, the the prison phone calls allow and you do actually get cut off at the end of 15 minutes that the phone just hangs up they can read something within 15 minutes they send it back to me and then there's a whole process of getting my phone number on their call list so i you can't you from the outside can't call into the prison to talk to somebody somebody within the prison has to call out to you and that that has to go through a whole approval process so got my my phone number and name added to their phone list and then it's just a matter of corresponding back and forth a little bit to set up what time the phone call is going to happen i mean the nuts and bolts of how it's recorded i i have an iphone and i have a little device that's actually called a wiretap uh that i picked up off of <laughs> off of Amazon that splits the signal out so that, that I get the audio going into a uh, Zoom H6 into that. And I have uh, an SM7B microphone that I use to record my end of things. And I use the, the H6 to kind of do a multi-track recording of the, the phone calls. And then they get put into Adobe Audition and just kind of cut it all together into a segment. I add a little bit of music on the front end, add a little bit of music and an outro on on the back end but for the most part it's it's very much just kind of how it goes with our call it's kind of meant to give them a chance to kind of hear their voice and kind of tell their story in their voice and i, and I should say just to make sure that i want to make sure that i get this get this out there as well the podcast was made possible through a sponsorship with families against mandatory minimums they put up money to help get this going we structured kind of a deal in a way that they sponsored the, the podcast, but I have complete editorial control over how it goes and, and what goes into it. It's a lot of front end work and then trying to make sure that I'm at my desk at whatever hour they are able to get out of their cells at this point, because the entire Pennsylvania prison system has been on lockdown, which means that people in prison are largely in their cells 23 hours a day, every day with about an hour out each day to shower, use phone, use the phone, get their medicine, uh, do all those sorts of things. And those are rotating times. So like sometimes they're very early in the morning. Sometimes they're very, very late at night. It's just trying to make sure that we're coordinated and I know when to be sitting at my desk <laughs> ready to go. Well, I like the fact that you have described the really glamorous side of podcasting because that is exactly what podcasting is. People want to know, people thinking about doing a podcast, what does it take? What are the what are the steps that go into it? That is a very basic and perfect formula for putting together a podcast. That's how you do it. There are all these hurdles 
I mean, you've got this extra hurdle of the fact that they only have an hour a day to talk to you and then they have to call you and you have to figure out when they're going to call you and be ready for them. And then the the recording's going to end in, in 15 minutes or the call's going to end in 15 minutes. So that's that's a good high-pressure s- situation. What have you – well, f- let me ask you a couple of different things there. First of all, how many episodes are you going to have in the first season? Ten episodes in the first season. At this point, there are, I think, three or four people who have already expressed interest and are writing things for a potential second season. But ten episodes in, in the first season, the first – Three episodes are released on April 7th, and then it is one episode a week every Wednesday after that for the next seven weeks. Where will people be able to subscribe to that? So it's on iTunes, Google, Spotify, pretty much all the major streaming apps. Uh, It can also go to www.whatislife.us. That's the website that, that I have set up for it. That might actually be the easiest way of getting it or searching by my name, Joshua Vaughn, in the podcast app. That One of the things that I kind of wish I would have done a little, I love the name What Is Life, but one of the things I probably should have done a little more on the front end was a bit of research to see how many other podcasts by that name are out there. And there are quite a few, so maybe not the easiest to find it just by searching for it, but it's out there and hopefully... Hopefully we're, we're doing enough on the front end to, to get the links and, and to get all that stuff out there for people to be able to go directly to the podcast and get it. But yeah, it's on all the streaming apps. Except I'm still waiting on Pandora, but the rest are, are up. Yeah, we'll definitely be re- including the link on our website so that people can find it. So this is kind of where I get to decide which direction I want to go with. Do I want to continue on? I don't know. I think we've probably talked enough about the basics of putting together a podcast and everything. What have you learned so far about, you know, this story, but maybe also about producing a podcast for the first time? For producing a podcast, I think I vastly underestimated the amount of <laughs> front, front end work that that went into it. <laughs> And the edit process is reasonably easy. I mean, I I have some experience doing that, but it was a whole lot more front end work than than I was expecting. And I I really, that is one that I should have uh, planned a little more for. So anybody out there doing a podcast, front end work, highly important, probably going to be more work than what you assume assume it's going to be. But no, it's been good. It's been a very fun learning experience. As far as the story, it's always fascinating to talk to these men and women. I mean, you're you're talking for the most part, people who have been incarcerated 20, 30, 40. One guy has almost been in prison for 50 years at this point that I spoke with. And you're talking about people who, some of the people who society looks down the most on and for some understandable reasons at times i mean we're talking people who have been convicted of awful things and in some cases did horrible things but it's always fascinating to talk to them and just hear the stories of how they got to where they were and to hear the stories of just who they are now again we we think of people especially people who are convicted of violent offenses, that's who they are. And that's what, what defines 
who they are. And that's an immutable characteristic that will never change. If you do this, you're never going to change. Now, we obviously, we know from research, we know from hundreds of juvenile lifers now being out that that's just not the case, that people age in and out of crime, that these offenses happen for so many different reasons. And not to downplay them, they're horrible. I, I can't imagine being somebody on the other end of that, where losing a loved one to a homicide. But I mean, these are people who grew up in abusive households. And for some of them, substance use issues are a significant trend in the people that, that I've spoken with. People just getting caught up in things that they, they shouldn't have gotten caught up in. Teenagers, young adults doing dumb, impulsive things with very significant and awful consequences. And then the question is then what comes next? And for the most part, these are people, what's fascinating about this population is, is this is the group of people who, from the outside, they should be the ones who have the least, the least desire to grow and learn and change. For the most part, these people do not have a are not going to have a chance to get out. It would be great if we could could get commutations going again. Back in the the 60s and 70s, basically everyone who was serving life without parole at least had a chance at a commutation. Now we're less than 1% of the population even being considered for a commutation. But I mean, for the most part, these are people who are going to spend their last days in prison. And one of the guys even said that. One of the guys that I talked to right before COVID hit was training to be a hospice worker within the prison because there are these people who are going to grow old and die in prison. And we don't really have, we have a compassionate release program, but as, as our secretary of corrections has pointed out before, it's not really compassionate and we don't really release anyone under compassionate release. So they live and they die in prison. And there's this program where other incarcerated people train to at least be there with them and kind of be with them and help them through their their final days. And one of the reasons he said he wanted to do that was he knew he was going to be in that situation himself, that he knew at some point that he was going to be there. He doesn't want to be alone when he dies in prison. And he wanted to be able to give it, have a chance to give back be there for the people so that hopefully someone will be there for him whenever he dies in prison. And that was a, a really stark moment in all of this. But I mean, these are, it's just always fascinating to talk to people in prison, serving life without parole, talking to people who have gone through the system, because I think we have so many misconceptions about who these people are what they are and if they're able to grow and change and become different people and they do and and all the people that i've spoken with they're vastly different than who they are who they were at the time one of the questions that i've been trying to ask all of them is who are you now how do you define yourself and it's just always fascinating to hear how people you know define who they are especially people who society would define in drastically different ways. You know, it's a measure of a society of, of how it, it treats the people it incarcerates. You know, you said it before that these are human beings and they have done terrible things, but you know, sometimes we, you know, as you said, we put them on a shelf and we don't, 
we've sentenced them, we've put them away, and we forget about them, or we or our detachment allows for very some very terrible things to happen. So I think a podcast like yours, where you're telling their stories, but you know, letting them tell their stories, that provides insight into those individuals. And you know, yeah, they've done terrible things, and and they're paying for it. But I think it's important for people to hear that, and yeah. that if if you're going to send these people away, you need to understand what that means. I think there's a question of when is enough enough. Certainly there is a need for punishment and and there's obviously a significant debate about what punishment looks like. Does it look like prison? All those sorts of things. Even if we're just operating under the model that we have, when is enough enough? Pennsylvania has a prison for men, SCI Laurel Highlands, which has an entire hospice and long-term nursing care wing to it. Like we have enough men in our prison system who need long-term assisted living care that we have an entire wing in a prison built for it. And I've, I've had the opportunity to go out there a couple of times to photograph and to do some stories from the prison. And I mean, you just walk around and it's, it's guys in wheelchairs. It's some guys who very clearly don't even particularly know that they are in prison anymore, that they are on the, the end stages of their lives. It, it's men who need assistance being able to get to the bathroom, all these sorts of things. And, and it's really a question of what are we gaining by keeping them here? And is it necessary to continue doing this? Most of these men are not threats. If, if the question is threats to public safety, they're not threats to public safety. So then the question becomes, you know, why are we doing this? That's, that's something that I don't think that we grapple with enough. Well, I think it's probably a good place for us to stop. Josh, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was great catching up with you. It, it was powerful conversation, powerful podcast subject. And, you know, I wish you luck and hope that you get a second season with this. Like I said, we're going to share the link to your podcast, encourage people to listen to it. And for those of you who are out there, you know, we talked a little bit about producing a podcast. Produ producing a podcast is a hard thing to do, but sometimes it's the perfect way to do, to tell certain types of stories. And I think that you, that's something I think you've discovered. Josh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.